This is episode number 120 with New York Times bestselling author, Baratunde Thurston. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. What's up, everyone? Thank you so much for joining me on the School of Greatness podcast, the very first episode of the new year 2015. Welcome to the new year, and thank you guys so much for joining me today. This episode is brought to you by Onnit.com. Go check out O-N-N-I-T.com for some of the best human performance supplements and sports training gear in the world. Uh, the Rock just posted pictures of him using one of the kettlebells on Instagram the other day. A lot of top athletes and trainers are using their equipment and supplements for their athletes and for themselves. So go ahead and check out onit.com. If you use the checkout code GREATNESS, you get 10% off on all your supplements. That's going to help you stay focused and on top of your game throughout the day in your business and life. Check out onit.com for more. Now, I want to bring you to my good friend, Baratunde Thurston. For those that do not know Baratunde, he is a TV host and co-founder of Cultivated Wit. He wrote the New York Times best-selling book called How to Be Black and served for five years as the director for the news outlet The Onion in New York City. When he's not delivering talks at gatherings such as the Tribeca Film Interactive, uh, South by Southwest, and Ted, he writes a monthly back page column for Fast Company. Now, in this interview, we dive in deep about a few different things. Transitions. Uh, one of the things, it's a new transition right now with the new year. So we talk about transitions. We also talk about getting unplugged. And Baratunde is very into tech and into media and has a big social media following. But for a month, he went completely off the grid, went unplugged. We talk about what that's like. We talk about the future of media online and a whole lot more. We uncover a lot of things here in this interview. So I'm very excited to bring you my good friend, the one and only Baratunde Thurston. We've all been there. You have a question about your credit card. You call the number for help and can't get a hold of anyone if you only had a Discover card. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. A real person. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. 
On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers. Welcome back, everyone, to the School of Greatness podcast. I'm with my man, Baratune Nate Thurston. I'm the greatest of all time. (laughs) What's up? The goat. (laughs) Yo, it's good to be here, Lewis. Yeah, man. This is a long time in the the making. Yes, it is. We've been talking about having you on for like two years since I started. Since you started, actually, yeah. It's like, we got to get you on. I had to wait for you to perfect it. You know, like I didn't want to be a part of those rough early years. We should be waiting for the rest of my life (laughs) because it's never going to be. Well, yeah, perfection is a process. It's never going to be perfected, but uh, it's definitely gotten a lot better. Yeah. If I listen to the first five or 10 episodes, I'm like, oh, I can't even believe I put those out there. I feel that about my jokes and my first years in stand up. It's just like, nope, I wasn't funny at all. But here's what's interesting. Like I could have been paralyzed by the thought of like, this needs to be perfect for me to put it out there. And I probably want to have a podcast right now. So I'm glad I did. Yeah. And you just did a TV show. I did. And uh, the, the, notice the verb tense. Right, right. I did, did a TV, TV show. show. <laughs> and you said you're actually grateful. You had a great experience with yeah. it. Will you talk about it a little bit? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. Um, so I was, uh, I'm here in Los Angeles with you right now. I came out in October to join an existing show. Uh-huh. The show was called Take Part Live. It's on a network called Pivot, which is owned by a company called Participant which is a film company. They do documentaries on social issues. Jeff Skoll, who was one of the eBay early people and a billionaire, created a network because he wanted to make the world better through media. It's like social impact media. Right. So I joined a show with Meghan McCain, John McCain's daughter, Jacob Soboroff, who was part of HuffPo Live before this. And we broke down the issues of the day. We debated them and we encouraged our audience to take some kind of social action, not just get all riled up. So I did about 40 episodes of that. And then the show was, shall we say, not continued, sure, a.k.a. canceled. Yeah. <laughs> but you said we were just talking for the last couple hours here on my balcony in the studio. It's uh, it's a balcony that that evokes uh, reflection. Right. And then confession. I come out here every morning and yeah. I just like reflect, but luckily I'm usually by myself, so right. I don't have to confess anything. You should turn your mics on when you come out. Then you'll have a, that's a whole other podcast. That is. Lewis's <laughs> confessions from his balcony. And I'm usually half naked out there, so it should be like <laughs> naked, Video con- podcast. naked confessions. <laughs> That's the, you should get that. You should get that Dot domain com. name. Yes. <laughs> Slash net. All right. So you, uh, but we were talking about how you're actually grateful that no one saw it. Yeah. So part of the challenge with the, I guess the benefit and the challenge. So it's a new network that most people haven't heard of. Yeah. That even the people who have access to it don't know they have access to it because it's a linear cable channel. It, they bought the documentary channel to be able to get into people's homes, but mm-hmm. most people didn't know they had the documentary channel. So any new network right. <laughs> struggles yeah. in its first year to be known for something. Even own. Yeah. And that's Oprah. Yeah. Right. And they, you can't just ride being Oprah. So this didn't have Oprah either, um, much as I like to think of myself as like a newer Oprah. <laughs> yeah. And so it was, it was actually quite a, was quite a fortunate thing sometimes to not mm. be massively exposed, especially for me, because I was new to this type of television. Like I've been mm. on TV a fair amount. I've hosted web series. I've hosted 
pre-recorded field pieces for Science Channel. Edited things. Yeah, and I've done live as a guest. I've done cable news. Where someone's asking you questions. Yeah, and I've you done MSNBC, share your CNN. I'm just like, be me on an issue or two. Mm-hmm. But to actually be the co-host of a show and have to toss to commercials and ask the audience to tweet and to interview people in one block and talk about ISIS in another block. And there's just a lot more going on to have a producer in my ear. That's challenging. So to, to talk. Focus. And, exactly. Like it's a very, it's a mentally challenging gig to do that for a full hour, four days a week. And you have to prepare every single day for and every day. It's the different. Topics. Every day is different. One day we're talking about, you know, rehabilitated neighborhoods and artisanal, Foods. The next day, we're talking about international terrorism. We'll be talking about religion, and then we're talking about teenagers and date rape. Like, there's the news is the news, and yeah. you can plan some of what happens, but then other things just happen. Sure, and you got to respond to that without looking like an idiot. Right. So there was this anyway. The, all that's a long way of saying I sometimes was like a little frustrated because I like if I express something, I want the world to hear it. Mm. But it was also kind of nice, especially as a newbie in this realm. To be in a little quieter spot. Because you're allowed to make some mistakes. Yeah. And you don't have to feel bad about it because not the whole world. You went on the Tonight Show every day. Right. That would have been a much more public way to learn. Yeah. 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 Interesting. And there's something, I mean, I think there's even the way the internet works in terms of exposing early art, you know, to an audience before it's ready. Stand up. You know, I I started in stand up in 2002 before Twitter, before any sort of public recording of things people didn't have phones with cameras built in so i was able to fail quietly without everyone seeing you. yeah and then and get better like quiet failure is so important yeah because if you stumble out loud that's people's only impression of you and we're very quick to judge and like oh he's not funny he'll never make it it's like actually a lot of never makes it eventually do make it Mm. and that eventually is, is, is it needs to be baked in in some way so i am grateful i'm not saying i'm happy that the right. network is small. I'm not trying to diss the network, but I am saying for me, especially who was just there for two and a half months, it was it was a good it was gig. A great learning experience. Yeah. Now, when I first, I'm trying to think about when I first m- not met you. I'll talk about that in a second. Yeah. When I first heard about you, mm-hmm. I believe it was 2000. You have to remember the date, okay? The time frame. Dude, 2008, I think it was. Swine flu. Oh yeah, that was two thousand nine. Two thousand nine. Yeah. Someone tweeted a video of yours yeah. doing like a speech or a stand up. Yeah. About swine flu. Yeah. And it was hilarious. Thank you, sir. Can you talk about? Yeah. No, that was for that people was, that don't remember swine flu. Go so ahead. the swine flu H one N one influenza virus. Um, that's <laughs> it was all over the news for a it while. It was yeah. There was a big scare back in roughly April of two thousand nine, and it was on the front pages of all the news sites and. People were buying masks and really worried, am I going to get swine flu? It was like Ebola, yeah. right? But bigger It was in big. some interesting ways. And so I was inspired. I was working at The Onion at the time. Yeah. I was the head of digital there and I was leading political coverage. And I thought, what if I could create a kind of satirical swine flu account? And I personified the swine flu as an Twitter ang- account, as a Twitter account, yes. uh, as an angry piglet. <laughs> And the thing that I don't know that that didn't come across in that talk, because that talk was kind of in character, uh-huh. I really thought about it, right, as a performance piece. I'm oh, like, yeah, okay, this is like, I want to develop this character, so who does the swine flu swallow, uh, follow on Twitter? What is his attitude? What is his gender? What is his use of profanity? What? So this is a condescending, highly profane, highly confident and arrogant piglet. 
seeking revenge on all of humanity <laughs> for bacon and ham hocks. Oh my gosh. Centuries, millennia of abuse. And then I got to work and I just treated this character as a Twitter user and followed people and trolled them online and <laughs> followed folks who were afraid of the swine flu. Oh my God. And, and tweeted out that. Especially because I knew that that mechanics of Twitter, and it still works this way, but especially back then it was so special. Yes. When someone follows you, you get an email. So these people who were afraid of the swine flu were getting an email I saying you are now being followed by the swine flu. That was it. It wasn't at swine flu. Was that taken already? It was the underscore swine underscore flu, but the proper name the swine flu. was just the swine flu. Wow. So they were, there was like, it was a new way to Scared. deliver a joke. Yeah. And I was like, I wasn't even there for the delivery. Sure. Really. Like I set it up on Twitter and it landed in your inbox. If only there was a video of everyone who opened it. Yeah. I mean, the NSA the knows, right? They got the webcams on yeah, all of yeah. us. Um, maybe Apple knows. Who knows what they're right. doing with FaceTime footage. But um, that was for me hilarious like i made myself laugh yeah, yeah. i did it for me every day and i've maintained i didn't uh, publicly acknowledge that i was behind it until you made the speech or yeah until i talked the talk was like my coming out uh -huh. party and i got interviewed by huffington post in character wow for that uh, al roker amazing. followed me Mitt romney followed me that's amazing it was a glorious two-week <laughs> experiment two week and then it was like the swine flu was over yeah and, the talk and, was and there was an early it was an early um version of these personified like satirical fake accounts you know you had bp global pr after the oil spill sure that would come later the bronx zoo uh snake or something it was sure. like somebody created one for that uh, mayor emmanuel so all the and now everybody creates 50 different twitter accounts the moment yeah. anything happens oh, anywhere right, in the right. world right but back then this is six it was a year after years twitter ago. started because twitter started twitter like started 2007 in, or something twitter started like in 06 six yeah um yeah i got on in 07 in March for South by Southwest. Yep. And I was always just trying to figure out, okay, how else can I be funny? Like that might've been an interesting stand-up bit, but it was a far more interesting Twitter character. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah. That, that, that one case is how I think about everything. Wow. Right? Like, what's a new way to interact? What's sure. a new way to express this idea? Interesting, man. Yeah. yeah. There's been such a transition over the years of, social media and online marketing and everything. Yeah. And when I first started getting into the online marketing world in 2009. So it was right around when I just got into it. I, I would sell that. Basically, it's because of the swine flu. So swine you're flu, welcome. Yeah. You're uh, all your listeners you. know that <laughs> swine flu gets credit for bringing the school Lewis. greatest to the world. <laughs> yes. And uh, there's just been a, you know, every year there's a huge transition for who has like the power, mm. the social media power, which platforms are the biggest. And like back then it was Twitter. And I don't really feel like Twitter is. I feel like it's shifting so much. Why do you think there are so many shifts online in the last five to seven years? And what do you think is going to happen over the next five years? So the shifts have always happened. They're happening faster because the places that we're building are cheap to build, cheap to grow. So there was, there was a shift from eight tracks to cassettes. There was a shift from black and white to color TV, but it took massive capital investment in years of promotion and marketing and experimentation to move a whole population from one place to the other. Mm. Now that happens overnight, almost literally wow. overnight. So, and it's because it's all bits and bytes and they're cheaper to manipulate. So there's no difference between Instagram and Twitter. Technically it's all zeros and ones. Yeah. So the, the manifestation of it is the same. And when it costs nothing, relatively speaking to move and sure. to create, we are a lot more, we're a lot less attached or we're attached for far briefer periods of time. So I think the why is a, is a technical why. Mm -hmm. I think it's, um, it's frustrating 
actually, to think for me, when things move that quickly, it's there becomes this like hyperactive gold rush mentality around everything. Mm, sure. And so, so I'm got to get it now. We got to get it now. And I'm, I'm, re, I'm watching Deadwood right now, which is a, a series about the gold rush. Interesting. And if you could think of something as massive as the Western gold rush happening every six months and a whole population physically jumping. Hundreds of millions of people. Yeah. To, to the Western United States, now to Brazil, now to the Arctic. Now, I mean, it's insane. And so there's got to, I'm trying to maintain a sense of inner peace around all this stuff and not bet on platforms and make the latest things because it feels so ephemeral. Because after you bet on it, even if you hit it big, it's like it could be gone in a moment. Yeah. And you have to build something that has that change built into it. Mm -hmm. You know, I've given a ton of talks about social media in part because of the swine flu. Wow. The swine flu earned me speaking credibility, right? And being at the onion and writing books and a lot of other things. But that example still has some resonance for like how to be authentic. Interesting. Ironically, because I was lying, but I was authentic to the character of this flu. And people ask me, they'll say things like, yo, I hear, I hear 2015 is going to be the year of video. Wasn't that like 2010? And I'm just like, first of all, (laughs) just listen to the year of mobile. Yeah. (laughs) It's like moving images have always been powerful in human history. Yeah, exactly. Whether we could record them and transcode them as quickly or not is different. And, you know, is it Snapchat year? Is it Vine year? Is it the year of Bebo? Like, Bebo just blew up in my life in the past three weeks. I don't even know what Bebo is. Bebo was a youth-oriented social network that was based over in the UK. Now it's reimagined itself as a mobile messaging app Mm. that creates avatars around you. So when you hashtag with your friends, like, it manipulates your avatar to visually enact the emotion. Like the Sims of mobile. Yeah, it's like you are the emoji. Interesting. Um, And so... I don't know, maybe that'll last four weeks. Who knows? Crazy. So so where I see things going in the next five years, there's like what I hope happens and what I think happens. Yeah. What I think happens is that we continue our spiral of gold rush mentality around kind of, oh, people move here. Basically, kids run from their grandparents, right? They leave Facebook. They go to Instagram. Well, grandma's on Instagram. Now I'm going to go over to this thing. Wow. So a lot of it is just like youth looking for the new version of the mall uh-huh. to escape old people, right? Oh, that is so much of this movement. And it's cool kids, right? Defining cool by scarcity is cool. If everybody's doing it, it can't be cool. So, so we got to get off of it once everyone's exactly. off. Exactly. So I think we'll continue this like accelerating hop of, of chasing cool, but the dollars follow faster because Subway finds it and they buy it out and they do wow. some kind of stunt. You know, it's like, oh, now Subway's going Vine. Subway's on Vine. How cool can it be? It's not, yeah. So, so that, we got Snapchat. And now exactly. Snapchat's not cool. Now it's something else. So I think that's part of it. But there's there's got to be some diminishing returns to the leaping. And I don't know if it... For who? The brands or for the people leaping? I think both. I think we... Certainly, I have limited endurance for this constant motion. I, I mean, yeah. I, for 18 months, I didn't have a permanent home in New York. Until February of this year, I was on, kind of on the road. I was Airbnb and I was couch surfing. With February friends. 2014. Yeah, I was. Um, I was Craigslisting it, and I was house sitting and, and whatnot. And it was novel. The first six months were really exciting. Fun. I was like, "Ooh, now I'm living in the West Village. Now I'm living in Williamsburg. Now I'm living in the I'm on a East couch Village. There, I'm in a lo- yeah. the king and the queen. Now I'm in a yeah. building with an elevator. Now I'm in a fifth floor walk up. And it's there's something really exciting sure. about the discovery and the exploration and the journey. But at a certain point. I needed a home. Yeah. And I signed a lease. You better chill. Yeah. And I needed something recognizable. For a lot of people, that's Facebook, right? Mm -hmm. They've just paused. 
on this Ferris wheel. I'm going to keep mixing the metaphor on this roulette wheel. There's like, I'm going to stick with number Facebook because I know it. Most of my friends are here and that's cool. Email still works sure. for the vast majority of people. Texting, Text messaging. Yep. That's not going anywhere. And yeah, where else it ends up, I, there will be new things. There will be new things. But what I hope happen, this goes from like expectation to hope. I hope that we get a different sense of ownership as users about all the stuff that we create that's attached to these ephemeral networks. What do you mean? We're producing a lot of media in terms of photos and text messages and video clips. We are revealing a lot about ourselves mm -hmm. in terms of content, but also in terms of our networks. Like you and I are friends on Instagram and on Facebook. We follow each other on Twitter. We're in each other's phone books. LinkedIn. These platforms know that we're important to each other. Sure. We should know that too. Mm. And that should be portable in a way that is somehow held hostage by the LinkedIn's of the world and the Gmail's of the world and the whoever the, I'm not picking on those guys in particular, but I think we've got a really weird balance in the relationship now where the majority of what makes Facebook Facebook is us, not Facebook. Mm. And if we start to shift to a world where the connections and the media, which are all us, without any of that, these platforms are stupid, they're literally dumb, then the shift from one place to the other will be less painful because it will already have it. Mm. And so when you think, of, think about NSA, think about the Sony hack, think about things that have been in the news a lot lately, if users had their own data, right? If we had a trusted place to keep it or we kept it ourselves, then it wouldn't be so costly, so painful, so ridiculous to jump from one service to the other mm. or to, you know, when the terms don't line up or when they get hacked or, or yeah, whatever yeah. the reason is, or cause you don't feel like, cause you don't like the color blue and Facebook is totally blue. Right. Where's my pink social network? How come Facebook doesn't let me make it pink? Right. <laughs> so I, I think more user control is what I hope for in the next five years. Uh, then customizing your experience. Yeah. Then it becomes less of what will the geniuses at platform X dream up for me? Right. Because we are handing over. So it's kind of like bringing back MySpace in a sense where you get to, customize some of the things that you have yeah there. there i think customization is a part of it i think ownership is a more powerful term to throw around it because right now we're all just it's almost like we're serfs you know or or and not quite slaves and i don't want to use like extreme language but i feel Drones. like we're, we're waiting right we're waiting for some genius somewhere to Great, rescue us cool you know give me the new phone give me the new social platform it's going to be cool and hot and it's going to it's going to you know what it's going to do it's going to loop videos for three seconds, then play them in reverse for seven seconds, then do a staticky sort of seizure inducing, uh, dr uh, you know, drum beat, kind of like a, a, a drum and bass thing, uh, and then end up with a question mark. Well, that's going to be the new hot thing. I don't know. <laughs> Anything is possible. So many different things. One of my favorite parts about my job is that I get the opportunity to travel a lot. And in fact, I'm recording this right now while I'm in Mexico. And actually, I was thinking about something that I wanted to share because I get a lot of questions from so many people about different side hustle ideas. So here's one for those of you out there that are on the go a lot like I am or traveling a lot. When you're staying in your Airbnb on your trips, have you ever thought about how you could be making extra money by hosting through Airbnb while your home is vacant? If you're interested in an extra stream of income, Airbnb hosting is an easy place to start and it's like giving your home some company while you're away your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com slash host 
So listen, we all know life is full of yada yada, like those quote unquote free trials that somehow still charge your card for something or when companies have those sneaky gotchas hiding deep in the fine print. And I know you've dealt with yada yada before, like those bills that keep going up and up for no reason at all. Or when budget airlines promise a cheap fare, but then charge you for every little thing until you realize you're paying more than you would have somewhere else. And yes, it is possible to outsmart yada yada, like triple checking airline deals to make sure all you need is already included, but you don't take yada yada in life. So don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. If your child is struggling in school, then IXL is right for your family. IXL is an online learning program for kids that covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. Backed by research, kids using IXL are scoring higher on tests. It's no wonder it's used in 95% of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Plus, a month of IXL costs less than an hour of tutoring. Get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com 20. Visit IXL.com 20 to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. But I, I want us to be more active what in, is it, in that transition. What is it we're all doing with uh, all these different social networks and devices and uh, what is it we're all trying to do mm. with all this information? We're trying to be loved. Um, we're, we're trying to be affirmed. So much of it, we're trying to be seen and heard and acknowledged. Like me, love me, heart me, thumbs me up, re-whatever me. And we are trying to replace... In some cases, a lot of what, especially in American society, has been lost. Human connection. Mm-hmm. Right? We have these little existences. Like, for years, we wanted to, like, have, be independent and individuals, and then we got it, and it sucked. Yeah, right? <laughs> like, oh, what is, this? what is this feeling I'm having? Loneliness. <laughs> Depression. <Yes. laughs> Meaningless, you know, yeah. success. Unfulfilled. Yeah. Unfulfilled progress. Uh, um, um, lots of money, but no one around. So, so I, I think so many of us are just trying to be heard so within that trying to be loved trying to be seen trying to be acknowledged um and then we are there's another part of this which is relevance right there's a fear that we're gonna we're gonna slip behind we're gonna lose something that the world is moving away from us mm. and i don't want that to happen i want to keep up i want to catch up and technology is not just technology anymore it's everything it's the dow jones and the nasdaq and the, the way you talk like, to your family. It's like the pulse on the world. Yeah. And so it's, 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 not a, it's not a Xerox Park thing. It's not in some lab somewhere in quote unquote Silicon Valley. There is no Silicon Valley. It's just everything. Yeah. And so I think, you know, I've encountered people who, I did the show for the Science Channel many years ago, five years ago, called The Future Of. Uh, and it was just, that was the name, Popular Sciences Future Of. And I went around the world interviewing scientists, getting to play with their gadgets and talking about the meaning of whatever they were up to, whether it's drones or tanks that drive themselves, or which is basically a tank drone, or remote sex capabilities, or new ways of diagnosing disease. And I would run into people on the street who watch that show and watch Discovery in general because they feel like they, they need to keep up. Sure. It's part of their continuing education yeah, yeah. Right, as a relevant person, citizen, laborer, or whatever. And I think there's some fun in it too. It's not all super heavy. I think it's just sure. like something to do. Or we wait in line at the grocery store. Right, right. Interesting. Or in traffic, which you shouldn't do. 
Now you took a 30 day hiatus from technology, right? There was like cover of fast company. 20, 25 days. 25 from days. From social media. Social media. Not from all technology. So you started your phone. I like but toilets. You do, but you do, yeah. I like fire, yeah, yeah. which is really good technology. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. But I mean, from did you have a phone? I did keep my phone. But you I didn't have any social media accounts on there. Yeah, I kept, uh, I let myself text. That's it. And email? No email. No email. Wow. Which is so good. Amazing. So good. What came up for you during those 25 days? What did you experience? What did you notice about yourself? What did you notice about everyone uh, else? Lewis, I experienced people. They were these other objects out in the world. They're a lot like us. <laughs> They're called human beings. Wow. And I saw them everywhere because I was looking up. <laughs> wow. And not down into a glowing rectangle. It was, uh, I think I breathed more. I think there's something about being engaged with a keyboard and a screen that shallows the breath because mm. there's anticipation, right? There's thought of receiving or sending something. So you're like, oh, is this, whether it's a tweet or a text or an email message. like holding your breath constantly yeah. throughout the day. And I think I just took a lot more deep breaths when I didn't care. And it wasn't, it was like so many weeks of not caring for me. At least some people have gone a whole year doing things like this. I could not do that. Right. I probably could. I wouldn't choose to do that. Yeah. That would be too damaging to the rest of my yeah, life. Yeah. I need to be connected to live. Speaking of keeping up with things. So that came up. Um, I talked to people. Like I would go to a bar and because I couldn't escape the bar through my phone, which was my normal just thing. down when there was a moment of silence. You couldn't yeah, just, when you're waiting for something. I filled the space mm. with what was, whatever was around me. With real connection. As opposed to what was through the screen. And I don't want to say that every interaction through a screen isn't real. I think we're beyond that too. I think there are romantic relationships and meaningful family connection and uh, exposure to ideas that happen through a phone. Yeah. But... There's just something really beautiful about the in-room 3D IRL connection, the in-real-life connection. Yeah. So that, that came up. And, and the, the biggest, two of the biggest things that came up, I didn't need to be as on as I thought I did. What do you mean? I had created subconsciously internal pressure on myself to always be online. Always got to be posting something funny. I, I have this comedic background. I got to always be funny about things. I got to know all the news all the time. I got to retweet things that matter because it matters. And it turns out I'm okay if I don't do that constantly. Wow. And the world is okay. Basically, I'm not that important. Yeah. And it was humbling to be like, oh, you know what? The internet went on without me. <laughs> yeah. For People three... got their news exactly. without me. <laughs> I wasn't this key connection. It's not like I broke the internet by opting out for a few weeks and <laughs> right. villages burned and children wailed and Where is mothers lamented. You know, it was nothing. There were a few when I came back moments like, oh, we missed you. But it was a vast, vast but then it was minority. like gone. Yeah. yeah. It's like people move on. Interesting. Yeah. What did you learn about your health during that time? Um Did you notice anything about your health? Did you get I, I walked I was in New York for this period and I walked a lot. Um and I saw more of the city and I just felt physically more present in it. I cooked mm. a lot. I mean, this also happened over a vacation. So I had some luxury afforded that I wasn't doing this in the middle of like tax season or some other urgent business time. It wasn't that. It was December. No one cares mm. in December. People mm. kind of assume that you're not going to be as responsive. So that was cool. But the breathing was good. And I just had more space. I think probably I had more time to fill, mm. not with messages. Here's the other thing. I, I, mentioned, I said there were two things, and I forgot to mention the second one, how hard it was technically to pull all the switches required to unplug. 
to like delete the apps off yeah, your phone. To, to turn off notifications, which you still kind of have to do one at a time. Oh, There's man. no master switch that, that users can control, which they leave me the hell alone. You have to tell each of them, would you please leave me alone? Would you please leave me alone? Would All you please? Right. And anytime a human being is forced to do a repetitive action, I'm like, that's why we created technology, right? Yeah. So why am I pressing the same button 50 times in a row? There should be an app for that. Mm. It should be built into the app. So it also exposed to me the level, the way just say no doesn't work. Mm. It didn't work for drugs in the 80s and it doesn't work for social media and technology today because we're not empowered to simply say no. It's technically not simple mm. to just say no. Yeah, a lot of pressure. It takes a couple of hours. Yeah. And that's like a real, it's tedious. It's annoying. And so you might as well, and every app you install, like it asks you all these questions. You're like, yeah, sure, whatever. Okay, okay, okay. And until you want to not hear from that app, it doesn't matter. Mm. But the moment you decide, I don't want you to know where I am. Yeah. I don't want you to interrupt my dinner. Then without sort of turning your phone off completely, mm. which is a pretty dramatic move if you still want to make a call yeah. or get a text message. So there's a lot of little things. I feel like there's a, We've, we've been treated as children in, in how a lot of these mm. services, they don't trust us yeah. to make the grown-up decision. And that didn't, wasn't revealed as clearly to me until I tried to leave. And mm. then they're like, oh, you're not going anywhere. Mm. It's the mob, basically. <laughs> Interesting. What do you think would happen if the whole world shut down from technology for 30 days? Oh, people would lose their ever-loving shit. I mean, literally 10 <laughs> years ago... Yes. It wasn't more than 10 years ago, we didn't have cell phones. Yeah. Really. Like, yeah, no, they, most people. Most yeah. people don't have cell phones, smartphones, let's say. Yeah. Maybe it was 15 years ago when I was in high school. I got my first cell phone when I was a junior, when I was 17. And I was the only, I was the first kid in my class to have a cell phone. Oh, look at you. I was like, Big you shot. Know, yeah, I was ahead of the cutting curve, edge you know? house. <laughs> it was a little flip phone, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, what would it be like now since we've had it for the last 10, 15 years and everyone's been used to it? What would be different now if everyone was like, all right, go back to the way it was without this? I don't, <laughs> I don't know if we could. I mean, I think... You think we could function as humans? Not in the immediate aftermath. I think in the immediate... Well, let me, let me think Just about that. Just had TV and radio. Let me think about that. So Hurricane Sandy mm -hmm. hit New York two years ago um, in a few months from when we're recording right now. It's a big and one. It was huge. Shut down the, half the city, right? And it blacked out power. The north side of the Cell north, phones, yeah. southern Manhattan. Southern Manhattan, yeah. Uh, was dark. And it was creepy and it was eerie. It was like a city should never be this dark. It's Cities are, in my experience, and all anyone who's alive today, your experience is cities equal light. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize that until energy. Manhattan was deadly dark. Like, except for flashlights. Cold, too, or no? Was it cold? Um, it was chilly. It was around Halloween, so it wasn't gotcha. freezing, thankfully. And they got most of the power back to most people before the real, like, icy weather came. But people got by. No, the refrigerators didn't work. Yeah. I mean, people, I remember going to a restaurant that was just cooking all its burgers and selling them for cheap or giving them away because the meat was going to go bad. Wow. Because you couldn't assume. And it was like, oh, this is like olden days. You got to salt this and hang it up in the winter. It was some old prospector type stuff. And we're not, I think we're so distant, you know, from a lot of the things that make our world work now. Interesting. Like there's just a button that we push. Yeah. We have no idea what happens the on the switch. other side of that button. Yeah, right. And so you take that button away and it's like, where, how do I, how do can I, how do I use the bathroom? <laughs> how do I take a shower? Yes. How do I brush my teeth? How do I eat? You know, how do, where do I find do I food? Food, yeah. Cooking, acquiring the food. Like we just go to the grocery store. Maybe we go to the farmer's market if we're like, 
really close to nature. We're like hipsters. But we're still going, there's an intermediary which grew it and transported it for us. Who knows where a farm is? Most people don't know where they where they'd find food. You can just grab some leaves off the side of the road. That's not food. <laughs> yeah, right. So I think we would just be s- stunned, mm. and, and we we would face a stupor of just like denial. Wow. This isn't happening. We'd like try so, to lower our use for a little bit. Will we blame the government or or uh, you know probably, ask, blame whoever was going to? We probably fix blame it. North Korea slash ISIS <laughs> slash Walmart. You right, know, right. Some combination <laughs> uh, of those three. And then I think, you know, if it ever really sunk in, then we would start to fo- reforge connection, mm. you know, and, and figure Community. it out. Yeah. F- people would figure it out. We're resilient, man. We've been through. Sure. Like we've survived our own attempted genocides time and time again, whether nuclear or machete based. Yeah. We've had plagues and meteors hit the planet. So I think we'd make it. I don't think losing power, for example, is mm. going to be the thing that does in the human race. Right, right because we've had so much other stuff but i think we'll lose a lot and a lot of ugly will come out we lost technology or yeah i think there'd be a lot of you know there'd be roving bands and mm. I, we, it's getting real dark up in here Louis. Mm. <laughs> this is some post-apocalyptic you know, basically zombie you know like world war z type scenario <laughs> that i'm painting here right right um, let's just say 30 days for the whole world yeah <laughs> not that, not forever i'm obsessed with shows like that i remember this tv show called jericho uh-huh. many years ago about these like simultaneous nuclear explosions that took out most major American wow. cities in a small town in Iowa called Jericho, coincidentally, mm. um, was kind of cut off from the world and trying to make it. Wow. And trying to get information and ration and, you know, be self-sustaining in this little community and tensions flared and relationships buckled. And, you know, it was like a network drama. Interesting. And with Skeet Ulrich. Uh, and I really liked it because I want to know what people think happens when we lose huh. something. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. I'm curious to talk about transitions because yeah. you're going through a lot of transitions. You've been going through a lot of transitions since I've known you. <laughs> yeah. Your life has been a big transition. transition. I'm going to transition from life, from birth to death. You, Yeah, I mean, I guess we're always in transition, yeah. but you've had a lot of different things happen in the last four years since we first met, which was at our favorite restaurant in New York City, Delicatessen. Delicatessen. Prince and Sullivan. That, uh, uh, Lafayette. Lafayette and Prince. And, and Prince. Yeah. Sorry. Apparently it's my favorite. Yeah, uh, well, you don't even know where it is. I lived on the next block I'm over. I'm snitching, y'all. On Sullivan. <laughs> and I love that corner right there. Yeah. The bookstore in the next corner. Good views on that corner. Very good views. Anyways, um, but you've been going through transition constantly. Yeah. I guess we all have, but I want to know about, you're in transition right now, and you're in transition from where you're going to live, yeah. New York and LA, transition from this TV show, transitioning into potentially doing other media things, yeah. maybe podcasts, maybe more books, maybe who knows what, yeah. your own yeah. TV show. What's it like? What do you, since you've been in this transition for four years, mm-hmm. always from one thing to the next, and social media is constantly transitioning yeah. from the new hot things, and people are moving from platform to platform, how does one best handle transitions? It's yeah. also a new year yeah. coming up. How do how do you handle it so well? Um, what comes up for you when you're going through transition? Do you mm-hmm. feel like, oh, I don't know what to do with my life because nothing's happening right now? Because I know there's probably some people listening who are like, I don't know what to do next. Yeah. Or I'm stuck. Or I just lost my job. Or I'm quitting. Now mm-hmm. what do I do? Mm-hmm. What are some insights you can give people on staying positive or finding like so, yeah. a home base for yourself in transition or got it having a vision for what you want? Talk about that. 
so what you've asked me will fill three books. Perfect. <laughs> By the way, apparently I have my next thing. <laughs> Which is answering Lewis's questions by Baritone I mean, Day Thursday. I mean, you've had a lot of transition though. Like, no, I have from I mean, the Onion to your own cultivated yeah, wit, from I, c- comedy to you know yeah, shows. Five, five years ago, I got divorced. Right. All right. Transition. Massive transition. Transition. I moved to Brooklyn. I wrote a book. People read it. Uh, the book's called How to Be Black. I don't know if that ever came up for those who are like, yeah. don't know everything about my life. I don't assume you do. I left the Onion. I started a business called Cultivated Wit. I. Mm-hmm. Moved again to nowhere and then back to Brooklyn. And then I came out to wow. LA and did this TV show and then there's no TV show. And the business cultivated wisdom growing along the way, but uh, morphing constantly mm-hmm. in a better direction with more people, uh, but still morphing. So it's always been transitioning. It has. And I think there's, there's probably two or three types that I can get to. One is the transition of momentum, right? When I decided to write a book, that created a certain path, right? I got to research, I got to interview people, got to fly around, got to promote it, got to go and that, that led to me speaking and getting on planes a lot. A lot of mm-hmm. the transitions in life followed pretty naturally. So it didn't feel any pressure. It felt like I'm on a, in a river yeah. and I'm just going with the flow, right? Right. And like, oh, and now you're going through this village. Now there's a canyon. Now there's, it's night and you can see beautiful stars. Now you're in the rapids and you fell off the boat. Now you get back in the boat, but you're still moving. Mm-hmm. When I came out here, the summer of 2014 had so many question marks. I didn't know if I was going to get the job offer for this TV show. I didn't know if, when I would have to be here. Initially, they were they're like, two weeks. Can you be here in two weeks? I'm just like, that's insane. Right. Like, I have a whole life, <laughs> several lives, actually, that need some kind of resolution. I can't just leave my business in a lurch. I have an apartment. I got plants that need water. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, like I'm pro-life from my plants, man. And, and so I, um, and I was in a relationship at the time too. And so that was transitioning and in a really positive direction then. And I got really um, stressed out mm. because the, the combination of uncertainties, even I couldn't handle. And I got a lot of practice at handling uncertainty, uncertainty and change. My mom's passed away. I had a concussion. I've had th- third degree burns. I had friends commit suicide. Like there's been a lot of drama around my life, even as charmed as my life has generally been, yeah. right? Because a lot of that stuff's been right around me and sometimes right in my heart, but I've made it through. I felt like I have some level of resilience, but even then the summer, I was overwhelmed with change yeah, combined with uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Cause I'm like, what am I supposed to do? And then I get out here <laughs> and you know, I'm no longer in the relationship I was in with the show or with this person. And I have found a level of calm and use the word love. And I've used it earlier too. And I think that's a part of it. I think about love in a couple of ways. I think about, you know, love that one wants, love that one needs, love that one deserves. And the overlap of those three types of love is a sweet spot, right? Want, need, and deserve. Parallel to that, kind of a layer above that is the direction of love. Outward, from me to the world. I'm loving another person. I'm loving the world through my work. I'm putting love into my writing or whatever. It's like giving, 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 a lot of self-sacrifice in that, a lot of staying up late at night, powered by some sense of love and affection and even duty. Then there's love outside in, right? It's fans clapping, it's retweets, it's your mother or your sister or your brother. And then there's the internal, right? Love for oneself, by oneself, Mm. the most important. And so in the transition I'm in now, I'm not frenzied. 
I am as calm as I've ever been. Yeah, you seem calm. And I'm solid. I feel grounded. I'm, I'm 37 now. I've lived a few decades, so I know a lot more about myself than I did sure. you know, 30 years ago, 20 and 10 years ago. And so my focus is less on how do I answer these questions that fill my calendar? And it's more of how do I love myself mm. through the uncertainty? Because it's always going to be there. And there are a lot of things that may happen that I'm not in charge of. Right. So how do I be the best version of me in the midst of all that? So how does one do that? How does one love themselves? <sighs> so here's what I've been when, doing. When transition's happening or when, yeah. like, when things aren't going the way they want them to go. I'm, uh, I'm doing a couple of things. One, I've made a physical commitment to myself. I'm sweating every day. You're in good shape, man. I'm feeling you really look good. good. You look younger. I <laughs> Even though you got a freaking manly beard on right now. Thank you. you look, Thank you very much. Yes. You look the, the youngest I've seen you. I'm, I'm content. Uh, I am doing a combat. I'm doing a little cardio workout every morning that takes five minutes and explodes my lungs. Wow. I'm doing about an hour to hour and a half of yoga every day. Wow. And that's really pushing my body in places. It exposes weakness. How's your mobility now and flexibility? It's in, it's increasing, but I'm also I've just found where my tightness is, yeah. and I'm more different classes I listen to through podcasts or physically go to. I'm like, oh, I'm really good at this thing. I am not so <laughs> open in this part of my body. Sure, and I'm really tr honestly trying to breathe. L. A. is a great place to explore the outdoors in December. Yeah, great hiking and I'm treating myself to nice food. I'm cooking. I'm going to the farmers market. I'm just trying to take care of myself. And, and meditate a bit as well to try to bolster the spiritual, yeah. not just the physical. So there's, I don't know what that looks like for everybody, but for me, it meant a very conscious commitment to myself in the midst of all this. How important is this self-love for you or for anyone yeah. in terms of up to doing, up, doing big things in the world and having big visions and transitioning from thing to thing and being uncertain about the future? How important is this self-love, do you think, for everyone else as well as yourself? Look, I, I think it's critical because the outside world is inconsistent mm, and out of our hands. One moment, they love you. And they could be your nuclear family. They could be your spouse. They could be tens of thousands of adoring readers or viewers or whatever the game or customers. And that can turn. You can mess in a up flash. or something. You can missay something. You can be a horrible guest on a thing and look stupid. Like there's a lot of or someone could decide to attack you out of nowhere that, based on nothing that you did, based on a misinterpretation. Mm -hmm. So living at the pleasure of external forces is not ideal. It's a risky mm -hmm. way. And it, it actually, you reminded me by asking me this, something my mother used to always say when she saw me going into the world of performing. She said, remember why you're doing it. Don't just do it to please the crowd. Because mm -hmm. if you do it just to please the crowd, you'll mm -hmm. lose yourself. Because you'll define yourself by their pleasure. And pleasure and tastes change. Mm. So the, the idea of getting grounded and getting good with oneself, there's a more consistent power in that. Sure. And I think it comes across you know, externally too, whether in an individual intimate sort of way or in a professional sales and follower count sort of way. Sure. And it's not, I'm, not, I'm not promising. Look, this is, this is not the secret. This is not me saying... If you just breathe deeply 10 times a day <laughs> and, and hike and eat kale yeah. and do downward dog for 17 <laughs> seconds, you'll triple your Instagram likes. Like right. that's not, yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe you will not. Maybe your sales will go down, but 
I think the the larger point is that even if your sales go down, your sense of self doesn't go down with it. Mm. And that's super much, much more important. Yeah. Yeah. Why do you do you do what you do? And why are you <laughs> up to what you're doing then? I I care a lot mm. about the world. And I have found some ways of communicating, largely through humor, heavily through language, that help people understand what's going on. Mm. Sometimes it's a column, sometimes it's a stand-up bit, sometimes it's a tweet, sometimes it's some kind of imagery. But I think I am here to translate. I am here to help people understand, get engaged and connected with, with some unique talents that I've developed slash been granted. Mm. So I do it because I know how mm. and because I feel called to and because I think I have a unique perspective to bring to the field of people also doing that thing. When did you know that you could translate this type of message for people? Was it when you're in middle school or high school? Or is it when you're at Harvard? Was it at the onion? When did you realize like, Oh, I've got this talent, this yeah. skill, something that I'm able to connect with people in a way so that they understand it differently. There've been different moments over time. I wasn't into comedy much when I was a kid. I was mostly just like righteous yeah. and like politicized at that got channeled more through humor because I was like, oh, this probably works a little better than stridency yeah. and like condescension. Like people, respond, yeah, people <laughs> respond better to a joke than like, you're wrong. Yeah. Um, but I do recall doing a, a show in Boston where I started doing stand-up. I lived in Boston for 12 years and I did a New Year's Eve show, First Nights, which is like most cities put on some kind of non-alcoholic uh -huh. celebration and they call it First Nights. I did a show, a guy named Tony V put me on. He's an awesome guy. He's been in a lot of films and he's very, very funny. And more importantly in this moment, kind and generous. Mm. So he let me open for him in front of 2,000 people. Wow. Twice, like two shows back to back in the round. So we're in a circular stage in the middle of, surrounded by 2,000 people. That's so there's cool. no escape. That's cool. There's yeah. no backstage yeah. to run you can't off. You put your wall. Yeah, no, wall. you can't lean on anything except yourself and, uh -huh. and sort of the crowd's response and energy. And I did some joke about Israel-Palestine issue that was very lefty kind of joke and and played well in Boston. And an Israeli guy came up to me afterwards. And he was like, you know, where I'm from, people don't make jokes like that. And I'm really glad you did. Mm. And it's important that you keep saying what you're saying. And I was like, that's great. That's, what, that's an endorsement mm. from someone who wasn't even the target. I remember um, this, this is a similar story, but I think these two get at the why of, of, keep, of the continuing work that I'm trying to do here. I went to the Republican National Convention in 2012. I decided to count black people when I was there. Wow. I used the hashtag Negro spotting. It was oh a playful gosh. game. <laughs> And I updated the count intermittently throughout the days. I'm like, Negro spotting 67, just spotted this dude. I would take pictures with black people. Oh You're number 102. And um, three or four, five, maybe five. In my mind, it was 50. But I think in reality, it was like five black dudes came up to me in the Tampa Convention Center. And like, yo, are you that brother counting black people at the convention? And I was like, oh, shit, here we go. It's about to be a fight with some black Republicans. And they, they're like, I was like, yeah. And like, that was so funny, dude. And <laughs> broke the tension. And one of them, he and I started talking. Because I really wanted to know what it was like to be a black Republican. I, it's a foreign to me. You're an alien. I don't understand sure. how your brain works. Yeah, yeah. In the age of like Obama is a Kenyan Muslim who hates America. 
and voter, you know, ID laws, how can you be black and align yourself with that party? So I started having a conversation with this dude. And it was so good, I turned on my recorder. I'm like, mm. we're putting this on the podcast. And I have a podcast on SoundCloud, sort of sure. loose and unofficial, and it's still promoted up there. So he ran black outreach for George W. Bush and for the McCain campaign. Wow. Um, and we talked for 20 minutes. And it was respectful, and it was funny, and it was real, and we disagreed strongly, and it was great. And I was like, oh, yeah. Now, if I had just showed up as an activist, you know, protesting the RNC, how come you don't have any black people here? Or it kept in my corner, right? Kept uh, the comfortable people and ideas that I'm very familiar with. I would have never met this guy. Yeah. I only met him because of a joke, a joke that he played along with. Mm-hmm. And then we engage in something a little deeper. Mm. That's those moments like that. There's a series of them, but those two stand out. And one was in like my second or third year of stand up, and one was just quite recently. And they're the same story. Uh, you know? Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I want to get you back on at some point, but Hell I want to yeah. wrap things up All here right. in a moment. I'm going to ask you a couple last questions. Okay. One is what are you most grateful for this whole year? Ah, uh, that's really easy. And really hard, <laughs> but it's very, it's very obvious. Mm. I just, I'm grateful for love this year. Mm. I, uh, I fell in love this year mm-hmm. and it didn't last, but I'm grateful that I could feel that. Mm. I think I, when I was in a nine year relationship in my marriage yeah. that, that resulted in a marriage and then it ended, that's a big blow. Yeah. And the circumstances don't matter. It's just a big blow. And I met you right after you divorced. Right. It was like during it or right at the end of it. it or just something. the tail end of it. Yeah. I mean, the swine flu talk that I gave was like within three weeks of that. I almost didn't give the talk. Wow. Because I was so wrecked that yeah. I didn't. And that was my first public appearance since the divorce. Wow. Might have even been 10 days. I'd have to check Google Calendar. They know everything. <laughs> they know what my feelings were, exactly. where my heart was, where my, my Metro Pass was. So yeah, that was that was really hard to to mount the stage because I didn't feel confident, mm. and confidence is a prerequisite for me to present on a stage. Sure. I'm like I know all this material, this is me, and I felt wrecked because yeah. I had no confidence in myself because my marriage had just fallen apart. So fast forward five years, and I was able to love again. I am so grateful for wow, that. Wow, that's cool. And I and, see that. Yeah, it's it's the most beautiful. I think it's contributed to my sense of like centeredness mm. and self love. It's like, oh yeah, I do. I am deserving. Yeah. Of love, I need love. I want love, and I can provide it. Mm. You know, not just through another person. Very cool. My my gratitude, love. I like that. Yeah. Before I ask you the final question, yeah. I want to acknowledge you, Baratunde, right. for one being an awesome friend. I want to acknowledge you for that. I think we've had some great that. conversations over the last four years. And, yeah, uh, same here. We've man. been all over the world and always find a way to reconnect. Yeah. So I'm, I want to acknowledge you for being a great friend. I want to acknowledge you for sticking through everything through all these tough transitions you've yeah. had. I also want to acknowledge you for your creativity. I think you're one of the most creative individuals I've ever met. And the courage you have to put your neck on the line to talk about what you stand for and what matters to you, and what you want other people to uh, hear about what matters as well. Yeah. So I want to acknowledge you for that creativity, for the courage, and I want to acknowledge you for allowing yourself to open up to love and receive love again. I think it's really powerful, and I think it's powerful that others get to see that they get to open up to it as well. Yeah. So thank you for being uh, someone who yeah. can uh, thank you, show man. others that. Yeah. Wow. 
I am near tears just so the audience can hear, but I'm, they're not going to flow, but they're on the edge. Thank you, Louis. Of course, brother. Yeah. Final question. It's what I ask everyone. What I have for breakfast? <laughs> I saw that on Instagram. Uh, what's your definition of greatness? Oh, I should have seen this one coming. Mm -hmm. My definition of greatness involves, it's like a recipe. Mm. It involves a level of truth combined with power and a little bit of love. I think whether it's athletic greatness, political greatness, creative greatness, I think greatness is the act of channeling something mm. very effectively. And it could be John Nash with his equations. He's channeling a universal truth through math in a way that hadn't quite been done before. And it's great. So it's, there's, it's truth meets power and love. Baratune Nate Thurston, thanks so much for coming on, man. I appreciate you. Thank you, Lewis. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> And there you guys have it. Hope you enjoyed this one. Make sure to check out lewishouse.com slash 120 for 120. That's lewishouse.com slash 120 for all the different show notes, the links to go check out and say hi to Baratunde. Make sure to follow him online everywhere that he's online. And also for some other videos of his talks and his website, all that good stuff about Baratunde, his book is all available at lewishouse.com slash 120. Now do me a favor. If you enjoyed this interview, if you found value from it, go ahead and send this to a friend in an email. Again, lewishouse.com slash 120. Just send an email to a friend of yours. Say, hey, I was listening to this podcast. Had this really cool guy on. Check it out. It's lewishouse.com slash 120. That would really help me get the message out about the School of Greatness. We just broke ground on 500,000 downloads in the month of December. So we're looking to take this to a million downloads by middle of 2015. And the only way it's going to happen is with your help. So if each person sends one email intro to one or two friends about an episode they like, it's going to continue to help get the message out there and grow the School of Greatness podcast. Got some big things coming up this month and the next couple months. We've got the School of Greatness Academy relaunching. We've had hundreds of entrepreneurs go through the last six-month program. We're reopening it up from popular demand. Got a lot of people who are on the wait list. So if you're interested in taking your business to a whole new level this year, if you're interested in also figuring out how to have the lifestyle that you want and to build a business around your lifestyle, not just be a prisoner to working constantly to make money, but to have your perfect day every single day and make the money you want to make around doing what you love. If that speaks to you, if you're up for that game this year, then go to schoolofgreatness.com. There will be a little place to sign up for the waiting list. So make sure to go to schoolofgreatness.com, sign up for the waiting list. We're going to be sending you an email very shortly about when it's being released. You'll have to apply to get in. So there'll be some information you'll have to fill out to get accepted. So make sure to put an email that you want to get, uh, receive a message from me from that you can get it and get ready to apply because we don't accept everyone. We want to make sure it's very curated and quality people that are committed to taking action and making it a great year. So schoolofgreatness.com, lewishouse.com slash 120. Thank you guys for all that you do. Thank you for Baratunde for coming on. You guys know what time it is. It's time to go out there and do something great.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that.